Well, praise the Lord. Take your Bibles today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 today, so get your Bibles ready. We're going to read that in a few moments. Last week, as uh, I appreciate all of your prayers and um, concerns, I got many cards and notes from so many different people sharing their condolences in the, in the passing of my sister, Linda. Linda was 53 years old, and um, last Saturday... Um, we celebrated her life at um, the home church where I came to know the Lord. And she came to know the Lord. And our family was reached through the gospel of Jesus Christ, mostly through Vacation Bible School. And, um, and so it was nice. You know, what's sad is that most of the time that our family gets together, it's usually on sad occasions. Uh, we're all spread out all of, through, throughout the country. So it's either, um, it's either funerals or weddings is kind of what happens in our family. And, um, but I was with my four, we have four remaining siblings now. There's four of us. There were six of us. Two of my sisters have gone on um, to be uh, with the Lord. And, um, and so this is my youngest brother, Sean. And then this is my oldest brother, Mark, who is a year older than me. And then um, my only remaining sister, Donna. And that's me right there. And we were together and had a great time just uh, reminiscing. You know, when you, get to, when you go to funerals, and I don't know if you, this is like in your family, but you do a lot of reminiscing. You do a lot of thinking back into the past. You think about, you know, where you've been. You know, you remember stories and you tell stories. You put slideshows together and you kind of celebrate a person's life. And they were here on earth. And, and that's what we did as a family. And so, so I, on, I flew out there on Friday. <clears throat> And it was a long flight, got in late Friday night. And then um, on Saturday morning, I got up early and I drove down to, um, to where my home church is in a place called Wareham, Massachusetts. And uh, I had about two hours uh, before the service started. So what did I do? I drove around. You know, you drive around and say, I used to live here, and I used to go to school here, and I used to, I used to walk this street. And it's amazing now, and, you know, in over, over 30 years, it hasn't changed a whole lot. It's pretty much still the same, you know. And I, I was thinking as I was driving around how, you know, how life, you know, people have inhabited the earth for many years and generations after generations go on. But, you know, the earth basically doesn't change a whole lot. Although, you know, you see some changes. But there in Wareham where I was, uh, this, is the, this is the street that my mother lived on. It was called Peaceful Lane. Isn't that a great name? And um, so I had to go by and, um, and visit. I lived in, on Peaceful Lane for just a short amount of time. I was, as you know, I was in a foster home for, for many years. And I went and visited that foster home too. But this is the house where my mother grew up in. Um, my mother lived with her, with her five kids, not including me. And I lived there from 17 to 18 years old. After I got saved, I moved back home. And there were six of us that lived in this house. It was a little, small, tiny house. Um, you know, as I drove up on it this week and I, I looked at it, I was like, wow, that's much smaller than I remember. You know, when you were a kid, I thought it was huge, you know. But it's a really, really tiny house. I think it's been resided since 30 years ago and put a new roof on it. Um, but that's six peaceful lane. And so we did that. And I spoke at my, my sister's funeral service. And um, I said to my siblings and my family and a lot of her friends that were there that I didn't know. I said, you know, as you look back on time, you can see the hand of God. 
And my message was about God has been with you and pursuing you for a long time. And I went and I recounted all of the different instances over the last uh, 30, 40 years where I could give them clear living examples of the hand of God that revealed himself upon our family. And how we, how we are wonderfully saved. Not because we were seeking God, but because God was seeking us. We are responders to God. God is already at work. And that's why I really encourage you to go out and hand out invitations. Because you're not handing out invitations to people that God isn't already pursuing. God is already at work in their lives. Already in drawing them to himself. And he's sometimes looking for you and I to join him on his mission. At that funeral service was a lady by the name of Betty Voss. Betty is in her, she's 91 or 92 years old. Betty was the one who was sitting in an emergency room at Toby Hospital in Wareham, Massachusetts, when my mother was there as a homeless mother with, her, her, with, her, with, with one of her daughters. I'm not sure which one of them were. We had three of us, three girls and three boys, who was sick and invited my mom and her children to vacation Bible school. My mom got saved. And years later, I got saved. You know? So God is at work. And so sometimes in funerals, we look back, we look back, we look back, we look back. And sometimes in Christmas, what we do is we look back. Advent is a time of anticipation. We are reliving all over again the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are recounting the story of Jesus, of the shepherds, of the angels. We, we go back and we rehearse, we rehearse all over again the, the prophecies of Jesus and his coming of the first time. And we tell the next generation, we read the story on Christmas Eve and, and, we, and we share the good news of Jesus. But Advent and Christmas is also a time for us to look forward. To look forward. Because Jesus is coming back again. And so today, I don't want us to look back. I want us to talk about looking forward. I want to talk about the future today. And so it's a unique Christmas text we're going to look at today. But really, it is really Christmas as we anticipate the coming of Christ all over again, the future. And it really will make an impact upon your life when you see this. And so let's read Revelation, portions of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 together. Get your Bibles out and let's read together Revelation 21 and 22. And out of respect to God, we're going to stand for the reading of his word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read portions of this. I'll tell you what verse I'm on, so follow along with me. If you've got your Bibles or your pads or your phones, um, you know, I'm reading from the New International Version, but this is the word of the Lord. Amen? Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on a throne, and he said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. And he overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the angels who had seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Skip down now to verse number 22. He describes in that little section that holy city coming down. But in verse 22, he picks it up and he says this. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb, the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it and no one will... No day will, will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nor, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the books of the Lamb, the book of life. And then it says this verse in Romans 22. Verse 7, would you read it out loud with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, Romans 21 is a glimpse of the distant future. It is a description of, of a picture that is uh, so marvelous and so wonderful that um, many people have tried to figure out what it says. If you know anything about the book of Revelations, it is a book that has caused um, some to, um, to run from it because it's so kind of scary in many ways. Some people don't even want to hear it preached or talked about or even read it. Some people are drawn to it because they're trying to figure out what all the signs and all the symbols mean and where it is in, in particular human history and how it's all going to come about. And you might be somewhere in that group where be, between the two. But revelation is given to us to give us a picture of the future. 
It's given to us as a way of to show us the hope that we have as human beings, not only as the people of God, but the people who live on this earth called, called you know, earth in, in this particular country called the United States. It's a beautiful picture. And here at the very end of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, we find that, that John is given a vision of the future, a future that is bright and beautiful. He says to us there in verse number 22, Behold, I am coming soon. Behold is like, the, uh, like somebody screaming from the top of the mountain, Behold! Behold! And four different times in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself says, Be quiet. My, my watch is talking to me. That's really weird. I want to tell you something. <laughs> Behold, I am coming soon. Four different times Jesus says this. And in the Gospels, we discover that Jesus just said many times, I am coming again. I am going to come again. No one knows the date of the time, but I am coming soon. And most of the early church anticipated that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. Now, I'm not here to tell you when he's coming back. But I am here to tell you he's coming back. And the only thing I can tell you that the scripture clearly says, if you look at all the speculation and all the different things that he says, I want to tell you this, be ready because he's going to come when you least expect it. He's going to show up just like Jesus came the first time. And there were many who were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for the wrong Messiah. Jesus is going to come again. And Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed, blessed is the person who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And what he's specifically talking about is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is given to us as a wonderful picture. Now, some have used it to try to figure it all out. I remember when I was a, when I was a young teenager, you know, and I went to church. Remember, I got saved and I was uh, you know, 16 years old, almost 16 years old. But I remember going and watching a movie called The Thief in the Night. I remember, remember that. And I remember going home going, I am scared to death. Because it was vivid images and it was, it was in display on a, on a movie theater. I had never read Revelation. I had never read the Bible. But I watched this movie and I'm like, whoa. And there are a lot of people who that's their image of, of Revelation. That's called um, dispensationalism. It's trying, to, it's trying to figure out all of the different symbols and connect them to different people. I remember one time somebody said to me in my early church, they said, you know, the mark of the beast is Gorbachev because he's got a big old, you know, mark on his head. You know, and they try to figure that out, that the, the actual Antichrist was Gorbachev himself. And there have been lots of speculations down through the years that different political leaders have risen up. Hitler was named that back in the day. But the book of Revelation is a book that I think that we should all take seriously because it tells us some things that we need to hear and be aware of the movement of God. And there is a wonderful, bright, beautiful future for us. Amen. A wonderful future. And so I want to tell you three things that it says to us today. The future is bright. 
even in the midst of a world that we live in today, the future is bright. And why is the future bright? Because of what God is going to do to redeem his creation, to redeem his world. Notice what the scripture says. First of all, everything will be made new. Everything, the scripture says. It says that in verse number five. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And God right now in this world is at, at, the, at, the, at the work in your life, in our world, making everything new. If you're in Christ, all things are new. Amen. He has made you new in Christ. He is alive. He goes on to say there in verse number one, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I love what he goes on to say there in verses number four and five. You probably didn't catch this, but I wanted to point it out to you as we read it together. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. There's going to come a day, my friends, where there will be no more death. Just let that sink in. Now that's the hope we have at a Christian funeral too. When we think about our loved ones that are in a casket or who have been, um, um, you know, been um, cremated. Thank you. You know, but he says we will, he'll, every tear will be from their eyes. There will be no more, more, no more death or mourning. There will be no more crying or pain. The older order of things will be passed away and all things will be made new. That is a beautiful picture. How that will happen, when, where, and all the, all the details, I'll leave that up to the Lord, but I'm going to live with that picture in my mind. That God is at work, and he wants to. And ultimately, what does God want to do? He wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with us. And this goes all the way back to the first Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God inhabit flesh. He became human and he lived amongst his people. Someday, my friends, we will not worship in a sanctuary where we have just God here in spirit. He will be here in person. Talk about an awesome day for all of eternity. And you will sing around his throne. And praise his holy name. What we do here on earth now is nothing but a rehearsal for eternity. It's a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love what he says over in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God is at work to change our lives from the inside out, that we can have a tender spirit, a tender heart, a heart that is responsive. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who has a stony heart, but they would care less about spiritual things and push God away. And what do we do? We pray for them that their hearts would be softened 
that, they're, that they're, they would become more responsive and that they would be open to hearing the message of the gospel and receiving the greatest gift of all, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. But someday, the scripture says, it's all going to be over. Jesus is going to come back and there's not going to be any more sin. There's not going to be any more crying or mourning or death. There will be a great big party and the, all of us will be singing and praising him forever and ever and ever. And that's the good news. The future is bright. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He will quench your deepest thirst. I love what he says in this picture. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give him a drink without cost from the spring of water of life. God wants to meet your deepest, longest needs in your life. And he wants you to be satisfied in, in, your, in, in your life even this very day. The older I get, could I just tell you, the harder it is to buy Christmas presents. Because everything I look at, I go, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't need anything. I just need Jesus. He's the only one that ultimately satisfies me in my deepest being. He's the one that gives me meaning and purpose. He's the one that gives me hope. And when he quenched my thirst, he quenched it forever. All I want is Jesus, 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 Jesus. To him who is thirsty, he says, I will give you a drink without cost. He paid for it all from the spring of water of life. Now catch over in chapter 22, he talks about this spring of water. He says, then an angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as the crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So there's a picture of, of, of Jesus, the Lamb of God, sitting on a throne in the middle of this new city called Jerusalem that has come down from heaven. And he's sitting there. And from that throne, there's this spring of water that just flows and flows and flows and flows. And it just is a wellspring, a wellspring. And that water flows down. It is crystal clear. Now, I don't know about you, but water is precious for us here in Bakersfield, we don't get much. We have a drought most of the time. I think we're living in the longest drought that most of us have lived in lately. Water's expensive. Water costs the farmers a whole lot of money. Water costs you money to water your, your lawns and your gardens. But this water will be paid in full and it will consistently flow because water gives life. It flows. And where does it flow from? The throne from the Lamb, Jesus. By the way, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to 28 times as the Lamb. The Lamb of God. Who took away the sins of the world. The lamb. He is lifted up. He is the beginning and the end. The alpha and the omega. The bright and morning star. But he quenches the thirst. 
over in, in Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, the prophet Isaiah said it this way. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. It won't cost you anything. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food, the finest food, the finest. Jesus Christ is the one who satisfies us. He's the one that meets our deepest needs. And he comes upon us. This same imagery, by the way, is picked up by in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says it this way. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Talking about the water at the well with the Samaritan woman. He was pulling water up. He says, anybody drinks this water, guess what? you got to come tomorrow and get more water and more water and more water. He says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so we have this picture here in Revelation of this, of this beautiful city that comes down. And in the middle of that city is the Lamb. And down the middle of the street, the great street of the city, there is this flowing, refreshing water. And then it says, on each side of that river stood trees of life and bearing 12 crops of, of fruit, yielding the fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are healing of nations and no longer is there a curse. What is the curse he's talking about? The curse of sin and death will be no more. It will be a beautiful place for all of eternity to be with the Lord. But, he says, catch this, there's only one dark word in the entire scripture. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars... Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The future is not bright for those who reject. The future is not bright for those who lie, cheat, steal, who are sexually immoral, who murder and kill and violate the laws of God. The scripture says there is no place around the throne for them. Why? Because they don't want to be there. Why would you want to go and be the place where God is worshipped all the time when you don't want to worship him now? They will be cast out and there will be a second death. The death of your own soul forever and ever. It's an ugly picture but one that is contrasting in this beautiful, bright picture that he gives to us. The future is bright. Not only will we make everything new and not only will we quench every thirst, but notice what he says. He will make it all worthwhile. For all of us who love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, who have been saved by grace, not by works, who have walked with the Lord, the scripture says there is a great inheritance for you. There is a great blessing for you. There is an eternity that he's going to give you. Notice what he says here. All who are victorious 
will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. That's a beautiful picture. And then he says this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues, referring back to earlier in Revelation, said to me, Hey, John, come with me. Let me show you something. Now, in my wildest imagination, I picture him flying, you know. Let me just take you on a trip, you know. And they fly over and they see something. I mean, it's all speculation here. That's called dispensationalism. That's what, you know, the great plant, the the late great planet Earth did. But we love to have our imaginations flow here. He says, come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. Who's the bride, by the way? The church. It's you and I. Who's the, who's the, why, we are the wife of the lamb. Going back to the imagery of man and wife. You know, when the bride comes walking down the aisle in the sparkling, beautiful white dress and the groom is standing there at the end of the, you know, we anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to come in all of his splendor and glory and everybody's eyes are going to be pointed towards Jesus. He's the the lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. Well, in this picture, he says, come, I'll show you the bride. I want to show you where the church is going to live. I want to show you your future. It's going to be awesome. That's what he's doing here. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God. Shows in this beautiful picture, this marvelous future that all of us are going to experience. When, where, how? That's for us to see. But it's a beautiful picture. That's a picture of the United States of America, Canada, Central America. And what you find in yellow here is the dimensions of the city that is described here in Revelation 21. It's a pretty big place. Okay? When you look at it on that map, you say, wow, talk about a city. Woo! Now he's going to bring a whole new earth. And a new heaven and a new earth. But in the middle of that new earth, there is going to be a great and glorious city, it says. That beautiful Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And he gives us some descriptions of what this looks like. It, it almost looks like a, a cube. Somebody did this wonderful diagram of Revelation 21 and put it in a picture. And, and really the scripture describes that this, the length it's like, a, it's like 1,500 square miles around this way and up this way. If you, if you just, I'll give you some bullet points of, of the scripture here. The glory of God will show there. I mean, the glory of God. If you look at verse number, take your Bibles and go to verse number 11. It says, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, a crystal, clear crystal. It had great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And at the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes. 
And so it was a square cube approximately 1,500 miles long and wide and high. That's what it describes there. And it said there were 12 gates with, which symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 gates. There were three gates on each side. Three gates, three gates, three gates, three gates. And those gates um, were built on a foundation. It says there were 12 foundations which represented the 12 apostles. And in that city there was no temple because God was present. God wasn't, he didn't need to have a physical structure that he resided in, that he came and left. He actually was there in person. And there was no need for the sun or the moon because of the brilliance of the light of God. He lit it up 24 hours a day. And the gates to this city were never shut. They were always open. It's a beautiful picture. I don't know about you, but eternity's going to be better than here. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, you might live in a nice house. Your house is a shack. Because when you read the scripture, and it says in here things like it's made of jasper. The city has pure gold streets, pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone that you could imagine. And he describes the 12 different kinds of stones there. The 12 gates were like 12 pearls. Each gate with like a single pearl. The city was pure gold, it says, like transparent glass. I mean, this is built for eternity. It doesn't get old. It doesn't deteriorate. Dan, you're a builder. You ain't building nothing like this. Could I just tell you? Your future is bright. And as you anticipate Christmas, you should also anticipate all of eternity and the second coming of Jesus. He's given us a picture here that says, I'm going to make all things new. All of the things that want to satisfy you in this world will go away and I will be the only thing that satisfies you. And everything you go through right now, it'll be worthwhile because it'll be wonderful. I've said to many people, I don't know anybody who's gone on to be with the Lord that got there and said, hey, I think I want to go back. I mean, who would? As much as they miss their loved ones, they know that there's something incredible. And there's going to come a day when we'll all experience that. Well, the final verse I point out to you is this. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Did you catch that? Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know how you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? Jesus. He came to dwell among us, to show us 
salvation to die on a cross for us that we could have life everlasting. Amen? And that's why we sing this wonderful hymn that we're going to sing in a few minutes called Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Amen? He has come. And this hymn, by the way, which is written by a guy by the name of Isaac Watts. And Isaac Watts, actually, he writes this hymn because his dad was a pastor and he didn't like any of the church music. So he writes this new song, which was originally rejected by the people there. Because it was new. But he writes this song and he writes it to give us an invitation an invitation. It's an invitation. It's, an, it's not really a song of praise as much as it is an altar call song. Have you received the king? Have you received him into your heart? Have you allowed Christ to be your Lord, your Savior, your King? Have you let him quench your deepest longings in your heart? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He rules the world with truth and justice. May his song continue to reverberate in your heart over and over and over and over again until someday you're going to see him face to face. And all of those who've gone on before us, and all those who are caught up into the air when he returns will be singing praise to him around a new heaven, a new earth, with him at the center. That's what Revelation gives us a picture of. Eternity worshiping around the throne. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the glory of a new heaven and a new earth, a picture, Lord, that you give us in the book of Revelation, Lord, of what eternity is going to look like. We get a glimpse of it, God. We can let our imaginations run wild. But God, we're so grateful that you give us hope for the future. All things will be made new. No more crying, no more death, no more cancer, no more war, no more evil. God, thank you so much. You've prepared a great home for us. Someday we'll be with you for all of eternity. Joy to the world. Let's sing together.